Hi everyone, today is October 6, 2016, and this is Neuroscientist Talk Shop, UTSA's Neuroscience Podcast. Today's guest is Yolande Smith. Yolande is Professor of Neurology and has a joint appointment at the Yerkes Primate Research Center at Emory University in Atlanta. Yolande has been a major contributor to our knowledge of the basal ganglia circuit, and its functions, and its involvement in Parkinson's disease. Uh, hi, Yolande. Hey. And around the room, Alfonso Apicella. Good afternoon. Carlos Palladini. Hello. It's Italian day today. <laughs> <laughs> and me, I'm Charlie Wilson. Salma's away today. She'll be back next week. Don't worry. So, uh, you know, and I'd like you to talk about the thalamus. Lately, you've been working a lot on the thalamus. Mm -hmm. so I hope you don't mind me asking you more about it. So, what we know best about the thalamus is its function as the gateway for sensory information to the cortex. So all the sensory pathways on their way to the cortex have to stop, make mm -hmm. a synapse in thalamus, and that information has to be relayed to the cortex by them. But if we look around at the thalamus and just count up all the sensory nuclei and then count up all the nuclei total, there's a whole lot of them that are not clearly sensory nuclei. Mm -hmm. And there's some of them that really seem to be motor in the sense that they project to the motor cortex. Mm -hmm. So what can we say about the motor functions of the thalamus? It's this, it's, it's the gateway to the motor cortex for something? If so, you know, what? Yeah, yeah, good point. It's good, good point, Charlie. I think, I think you, I mean, you're raising a good point here. I think from what at least I could, as a, uh, looking at the thalamic literature, I mean, you, you raise the point is that for, for good reason, I think, is that for the thalamus, for the most of what we know about the thalamus, thalamus function and processing of information is really related to the sensory thalamus. And, and that is understandable because, I mean, there's different way to study that. And I think it's a, when come the time of the, if we talk about, you know, like in our case, you know, we are interested very much really working on basic ganglion disorders and, and Parkinson's and other movement disorders, we're interested in you know, the output of these nuclei is, is the motor thalamus, essentially. In fact, you know, the, the basic ganglia go out to the to the more the ventral basal nuclear group, right? The ventral lateral, ventral anterior nuclear group that then goes back to the uh, supplementary motor area and the motor cortex, and then goes to the. So we're talking about at least if we if we keep if we talk about the sensory motor aspect, and um, and these are you know this is a part of the. That's interesting because when you look at the the whole basic ganglia circuitry and and the and what we teach you know. Uh, our students and even many, many of our colleague scientists who don't necessarily work on the basic ganglia about what happens in the basic ganglia circuitry and the pathophysiology of the basic ganglia network in Parkinson's disease or other movement disorders is that then you have the traditional direct and indirect pathway box diagram that has been very important in the field of developing, you know, various therapy for Parkinson's. And, and you look at the, and, and you have, you know, striatum, basic ganglia output, thalamus, cortex. And uh, and then we have these, these arrows going back and forth, you know, on, on going down, you know. And, and the idea is that according to this model, right, is that according to this, one of the reasons why people with Parkinson's disease have underlie with a bradykinesia or slowness of movement and problem generating movement is because their thalamus is over inhibited by the basic ganglia because they receive this massive input from 
the antonal globus pallidus, and the substantia reticulata, which are massive, gabohergic, strong, high firing rate neuron. And then they, you would think that these neurons provide this tonic, strong inhibition that become dysregulated in the case of Parkinsonism. And then that's why you have that. But if you look at the, at the, at the literature about this, if we look at the, what is the evidence for that, in fact, that's a part of the model. That and the cortex, in fact, because what's going on in the cortex in Parkinson is also very poorly understood. We know, I mean, there's very few studies, if anything, except for some human work that people are starting trying to look at that, but there's no really good good work and, and detailed work on that. But but in the thalamus, we say we simply have no clue what is really going on in this area of the thalamus in, in, in Parkinson's disease. And, and that just started really to look at. So, and in fact, you know, one thing, if this were that simple, if this was that simple that, okay, ah, okay, problem of Parkinsonism, slowness of movement are due to lack of thalamocortical activation. Why don't you know you induce Parkinsonism if you just make a lesion of the thalamus? And that's not happening. What does happen if you just hmm? make a lesion in the thalamus? Hmm? What do you get if you make a lesion in the motor thalamus? You don't get, you know, what happens is that, I mean, you first of all, you do not get clearly this aspect of slowness of movement and stuff like that. You, what the thalamus is probably doing, and that's that's a pure... It is difficult, speculation, but I think the thalamus is probably very important in motor learning. That's probably where the thing is that. So it's not important in, I don't think it's probably playing a critical role in aspect of what we, what the basic game is, actually execution. So it's not needed for movement? Um, because if I made a lesion in my visual thalamus, I think I would be blind. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. If, I, if uh, I make a lesion in my motor thalamus, I'm not paralyzed? No. Oh, no, you're not deparalyzed for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that is, and clearly, and that I think will be also, there is also here what we have to keep in mind is that there's also the differences between, in that case, again, because we involve, you know, uh, the cortex, there's some level, and also the way that the cortical outflow is organized between and cross species between rodents and, and primates, there could be some differences there in a way that I think that it's the same thing, like, for instance, if you make a lesion, in fact, of the motor cortex in, in, in a rat. The rat is not going to be paralyzed. Right, so it's, it's, not, it's not going, you're not going, if you make a lesion motor cortex in person, in people, you're going to be to have some serious motor executive problem, right? So there is this aspect as well of taking in mind. So for the thalamus, I mean, clearly that is, there's no, yeah, the people are not, you're not going to be paralyzed. You're going to probably, and that has not been studied in great detail, you're probably going to have some problem if you then bring these animals with really, in aspect of of putting the animal to specific task and ask them you know to learn some specific behaviors and be able to and then probably you will find that these these animals are not going to be really to be to be normal so so that's for the for the for the motor the motor thalamus and, and i think you know the really both and, and and even in the motor thalamus then the, the only thing that seems to be what is interesting is that that seemed to respond to the thalamus, the motor thalamus, and uh, is if you make a lesion of the thalamus, and that's mainly the area of the thalamus that, re that received the cerebellar outflow, is tremor, right? So you can alleviate, look like, you can alleviate different form of tremor, both the Parkinson tremor, which is a rest tremor, 
low frequency rest trimmer, and also the cerebellar intention trimmer, which is the main effect of making lesions in the thalamus is to improve movements in Parkinson's patient or other trimmer patients. So far, this is the way the thalamus has been explored. Is mainly, you know, because what you can see is that the thalamus is main, what is the most, probably the most common uh, surgical therapy going on in movement disorders across the world is deep brain stimulation or lesion of the VIM of the thalamus in people who suffer of intention tremor and, and, really, and mostly these are because there's so many of them and also you know obviously Parkinson when the tremor is very severe. So isn't this patient ill for the, the loop that's part of the main basal ganglia notion because the idea is the basal ganglia is controlling this loop that controls the cortex and uh, is the is is the loop dead? That that's the part that's the part which has not been not been you know we, that has not been studied. What happened to and then when you talk about the loop, obviously the question is, I mean one fundamental question because at the end of the day, you know what, how does why does that is so effective, is because of the you somehow do something to the cortical outflow, I guess, right? So so we need to we need to know. What happens, you know, what does the thalamus do to the cortex? I mean, the, mar the motor cortices. And, and I think it's probably also different across motor areas. I don't think the impact of the, the, the motor thalamus on the M1 is the same as what happened into the SMA region and also the premotor cortex. So it's probably, and in fact, even in patients with Parkinson's disease, I mean, the effect and the neural activity of the SMA is... The SMA indeed, you know, is kind of in Parkinson disease brain, the neural activity seems to go down, as you would predict with the model. But if you go in M1, you have hyperactivity. So the system is hyperactive somehow. Okay. So you have, so even there, you know, if it, it, it's just an, another indication that this is not just, you know, purely thalamic driven, because I mean, somehow both of them are receiving this glutamatergic thalamic input and so on. So, so what is, I think what, to answer your, your question there about, I think what we need to understand better is what does the, and we need to go back, you know, we need to go to the basic, you know, fundamental knowledge, which I think is very fundamental before going to this <laughs> big question is that we need, first of all, to understand how the thalamus how these thalamic input are connected with cortical neurons. I mean, we don't know that. We don't know, in fact, if the VL, for instance, where does the VL input go in the cortex? What, what neuron are they connected? And you, you are a thalamus expert, so you, and you are a someone who did the cortex, I guess. I mean, uh, Shepard has started Shepherd doing something. Shepard did something, right? In, 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 that's why. He's a, this is probably, there are a few, and there is a Japanese group as well. Where the, the, this starting, right? This, yeah. These are recent so, work, so, right? So what do we know about that? Avanza. What Gordon Shepard Jr., not Western, has been shown that yeah. the thalamic input also from the motor thalamus to the motor cortex to the primary because he worked on M1, they go to the layer 5. Mm -hmm. And most recently, he also discovered that goes to the layer 4, uh -huh. right? Because uh -huh. for some point we believe that the motor cortex in mice was a granular, but Gordon uh, Shepard recently showed that there is also layer 4. So in that sense, that's like the way the sensory... Correct. And the fact, yes. And this is my question for you. If that is, if we believe in the sensory cortices that the thalamus is the gate of the incoming information, and right now we have some evidence that looks like that also the motor striatum synapse on the same layer in the motor cortex. If it's not a gate function, what kind of function do you think that the thalamus yeah. is going to have in the motor cortex? 
that's a that that that's a very good fundamental way because I think I think the the, the, in the it's a gate and in fact it makes sense in the sense of retirement. I mean, first, I think I think also is that it's a gate of these the the, the rest of the thalamus. I think. Most of it, right? They, yes, they clearly the sensory thalamus and, and other thalamic nuclei are all organized in the same manner. And, and gate make perfect sense because you have this massive, you know, glutamatergic entry going on, right, into the thalamus, really that are coming this massive uh, input, large, you know, glutamatergic afferents, multisynaptic that drive. This is the prime, the drivers of the thalamus. Okay. One big difference in that, and that has been looked at, you know, uh, in, 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 uh, by uh, anxiety and others in the thalamus is that, and I think it's true, is that this primary driver, which is this ascending glutamatergic, ascending or really coming from the retina or coming from other sensory input, getting into these neurons, then they are strong primary driver that drive thalamocortical neuron. But then there is some, this is where the gate is happening, there is some processing going on there and these major ascending are somehow, yeah, gated, you know, with a, they're, mod, they're modulated, right, before and things. Are, when you get to the basic ganglia, you do not have that. So that's the issue, is that this is what makes these neurons very particular, is that the neuron that receives GPI and SMR output do not have these primary drivers. They don't have these glutamatergic drivers. What they have is these massive, tonically active Inhibitory. But they must have some glutamatergic driver from somewhere. They have, okay, and that's very... That's I mean, if we look in the electron microscope, at no, that part of the thalamus, yeah. would we not find the synapse that we Yeah, see? you will find them, but that's very, that's very touchy. I think, and you discuss this, is that there may be something there that they have particular, but in fact, what they receive, obviously, they receive corticothalamic input, right? Really like everywhere in the thalamus. But the corticothalamic input, you know, the corticothalamic input into these particular nuclei, and, and like in many other in the thalamus, are not, and in fact, the, in the, like in the sensory system, you know, the corticothalamic input are considered as modulators, right? Because these are relatively, they are numerous, there's a ton of them, okay? But they are, you know, they are small, and they are not strong synapses, you know, for most of them, except the subset that come from radio 5, okay? But they are not necessarily the strongest input, and they are relatively distal. So if you look in the VAVL, I mean, if you go back, you know, on the story, in fact, in the, in the 1980s, and you look at the classical work by Ilinsky and others, and what is the input onto a single VAVL neuron? They're covered with basic ganglia input, massive, large, really terminal, about really three, four micron size, multiple synapses, gabohergic, reactive. And then they will have, you know, on the distal dendrite, they will have these glutamatergic input, many of them coming from the cortex. Okay, and then obviously they will also receive some modulatory input coming from the brain. So in, in, in the sensory areas and yeah. many other places in the thalamus, you find this large, yeah. round, yeah. vesicle-containing yeah. thing that's making asymmetric synapses mm -hmm. on numerous yeah. things, and it's involved with the um, presynaptic dendrites of the interneurons in this classic... Uh, in the LGN, yeah, that's right. That, that, that's another part. The interneurons, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind, right? The interneurons, and that's another plus that we we should, you know, we should maybe think about also because I believe in the in the thalamic in, in the question related about the thalamus is that we need at least to pay attention to uh, not only to the different thalamic nuclei but also to species because like this interneuron that you talk about, right? This interneuron, you know. In the do not exist in the in the they exist in the some sensory nuclei like the LGN as that across pieces, 
But if you go, for instance, into the AVL, the road in the AVL does not have any antenna roads. In the yeah, road. but how about primate? In the primate, they have, yeah. Okay, so in the, let's just think about primates. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in the primate, uh, the AVL, the cerebellum in its region that it innervates makes this classic synapse. It looks like the synapse made by retinal axis. Uh -huh, uh -huh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. For all the world, you'd say, well, that's a retinal input or that's a meniscal yeah, input. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's so that's from, a second letter, yeah. Coming yeah. from the cerebellum. But the cells that receive that don't get basal ganglia input for the most part. For the most part, they don't. You're and, right. And now if we look at the, we move over to the area in the AVL that gets basal ganglia mm -hmm. input, will we not find any terminal that looks like that at all? No. Or will we find them? No, we will not. We will not find them. We will them. not. They, don't, they do not receive that. Because one thing, and that is, that is we know that they don't, yeah, they don't receive that, and I think, we have looked at that, and Axadi has looked at that too, and they do not. They do not have that because there is the one thing is that there is a subset of what was started that there is in addition to these these ascending what they call the drivers, right? These ascending drivers that are coming from different areas. This massive, but there is also a subset of of neuron in layer five of the cortex that is going to project to the thalamus. Okay, so it's not only the, the, the one that are small and, and making those, our layer six neuron mainly that are scoping the corticothalamic, but there is also a subset of neuron in layer five, that is the pyramidal neuron that are projecting to the to the thalamus. And in fact, Itoshi published a nice paper on that when he did in Itoshi Kita. Itoshi, yeah, Itoshi that's why. When he filled these neurons, and then he showed, and they were they were giving collaterals, you know, the thalamus to the striatum. They were giving collaterals practically to many, many different regions. But these ones are providing some kind of a different type of cortical afferents, which are larger cortical terminals. And and we have studied them in the in the years, you know, in the cat many years ago. When when in fact with uh, Mircea Osteriad and and his graduate student Denis Paré, we studied that. In, in the, it was not in the Marotalum, it was in, in the Pulvinar and other nuclei, but they are big. And Martin Deschamps also demonstrated those with single cell thinning. And they were big, they are big terminals, very they look similar. Like the they, look, they look very much like, but you do not have them into the, the basic uh -huh. game they're receiving territory. So it sounds like the, there is a place in motor cortex that's like regular thalamus, or in the motor thalamus that's like a regular thalamic nucleus, and then there's another place that's not. Yeah. That's why. And that's the basal ganglia. Yes, that's right. That's the basal ganglia receiving And yet region. they're called the same nucleus. They're both called VAVL. Are they separated? No, they're just, they're, 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 yeah, they're called VAVL, but then like the thalamus, you know, it's a kind of, when you become, then you, you see them depending on who you talk to. Obviously, they are, they have different, like for instance, you know, we'll talk about the, uh, depending on the brain atlas you look at, they are really separated, you know, into uh -huh. different, yeah, because they are, Mainly by their input. And when you trace, as you mentioned, when you're perfectly right about that, and that has been clearly well established, is that when you trace the output of these nuclei, cerebellum versus basal ganglia, they, they definitely hit completely desegregated regions of the thalamus. And, uh, but at the, at the structural level, at the just a cellular level, this is not obvious to delineate the border between them. They're just part of a big complex, but when you do the, the anatomy of this connection, they are very different. So if I if I found a neuron in the basal ganglia receiving region yeah. that projects to M1, yeah. and I found another one in the cerebellum receiving yeah. region that projects to M1, yeah. would they go to the same place in M1? Would they go into the same cell? Very good question, and that need to be that need to be studied. 
I mean, the detail of that is not is not clear. There's been there's been some studied, and uh, and in fact, you know, that's something. Do they go to the? That's right. Do they go to the same? Layering and clearly at the cellular level, do they target you know the same population of neurons? Do they send the same? The only thing we can say about that, it is true that I mean the basal ganglia. Even if you know both of them indeed are going to M1, you're you're correct about that. There is a preferential the, the preferential output. At least if you look at the case of the amount of output going from the basal ganglia receiving region, the thalamus, to the cortex. What is coming from the basal ganglia receiving thalamic nucleus is, at least in the in the primate, is largely going to the supplementary motor area, mainly, okay, mainly going there. Whereas what is going through receiving the secondary output is mainly going to M1. And but then it's not a, at, at some point it was started it was completely segregated, but it's not completely segregated. There is situation where you have you know both of them going it's not a complete but it is still valid to say that cerebello vl m1 and basic ganglia vl sma are still you know two major streams and if we look at work you know from peter street and other they have studied that in green and it's still really valid but so they're so they're largely going to i would say then different population of cortical neurons, okay, one different even cortices, but it, but, uh, but how the question is then is is which neuron are they connected with? I mean which population of neuron projection neuron in the in the cortex are they are they targeting? Um, cortical striatal neurons, you know, cortical, I mean what, what population of neurons are receiving direct uh, input from them and, and also interneurons. I mean we know clearly that you know we have we have done recently, for instance, if you look, for instance, in the in the motor cortex in M1, uh, and you look at, you just use a general marker for the thalamic input without knowing if it is coming from the the ventral motor or other thalamic input. You use Viglet 2, for instance. We discussed during the talk, Viglet 2 is a general marker of thalamic output, and you just look at what is the different target of Viglet 2 in the M1, the motor cortex. You will find, yeah, obviously, many of them are going to be on dynamic spine, which is indicate that they're probably going up pyramidal neuron, but a large amount of them are going to be on dermatic shafts, suggesting that they're targeting interneurons. A large part of them are targeting interneurons. So meaning that they're going then to be, so it's not necessarily a all really doing this direct monosynaptic accelerated input onto pyramidal neuron. There's got to be network, really network involved. And this, this is this whole part, which is, at least to my knowledge, is not is not well understood. But again, in mice, you know, people are going into that with some very elegant work that they're doing and trying. But but we still in the I mean, compared to yeah, compared to the sensory where it has been a little bit more studied. But still, you know, I think we, we know very little. We still know very little about it. Um, so we've talked about two different kinds of thalamus that we thought were the same kind, but are not. Yeah, are not the basal ganglia region and then the, all the rest oh, yeah. of the thalamus. Yeah, and then yeah. there's a third kind of thalamus that is actually maybe a third or fourth kind that mm -hmm. are the intralaminar nuclei yeah. and the CMPF complex That's which right. are related but not identical yeah, to each very other different. Yeah, very different. But the thing which is interesting, though, is that, and that's another thing. I think in relation to the basic, and that's a part which also is puzzling, right? So every every GPI neuron, at least again in the GPI neuron, that sent a projection to the VL, okay, the basic ganglia receiving region, sent a collateral to the CMPF, right? They all do that. 
So it's Andrea Perrin has shown that in 1980s. I mean, then people have demonstrated that. So every neuron that sent a projection to the VL sent a projection to the CM. So this is collateral of the same. So that means that, and it's true, that what you say is exactly true. CM and VL are two very different bodies. I mean, they have nothing, but they have nothing. They have something to do to each other probably, but they definitely, at least from what we know, and the type of cells and the way they are interacting with the rest of the of the cortex and the basic ganglia is very different. So these are really two different entities. And But somehow, functionally, um, they need to receive this basic ganglia. They need to receive a copy of this basic ganglia output. So and why does the diagram show the output of the A and BL, and that's part of the loop to cortex, but the output to the CMPF is not shown as part of the loop to cortex. Yeah, the CMPF has, has some, you know... Has, it never makes it into the diagrams hardly at all. Yeah, and in a way of the... But it is always, you know, in the diagram, they always... I mean, so the, the box, I mean, there's always a... You're, you're talking about the, the CM going to the striatum or going to the cortex. Well, they, usually the diagram shows there's a thalamic input to striatum, but yeah. it doesn't show any basal ganglia input to the corticostriatal, thalamostriatal. Uh, not much, that's why. Yeah, there is an arrow going there, but it's, yeah, again, I think it's it's kind of a... And the, and the CMPF cells, they do go to the cortex. They do go to the cortex, and they, they are, and that's a point, that's an important point, is that they are particular. They go to the cortex, and they have, they are very different. The way that they, they innervate the cortex is very different than the VL. And, and that, again, also come from, uh, th there's been some studies from single cell feeding studies. If you feel individual neuron in the CM and you trace the axon on the cortex, so they're going to go exclusively, exclusively to the deep layer of the cortex, going to layer five. This is where they go. They don't go at all to the more superficial layers where we find, you know, the, the VL is much more, the VL really, some of that go to layer five, but at least in the, uh, in the uh, primate, we also find some more, more superficial innervation. But the CM, yeah, more superficial uh -huh. innervation. Like layer four, layer two. Layer yeah, they, I think they will. Clearly, there is, there is in the the cerebellar receiving region, the cerebellar receiving region of the thalamus is in M1. You know, is going to go to layer two. There's clearly something going to layer two, three, the superficial layers, two. So in in rodents, there's this. Um, idea that the basal ganglia receiving region of the thalamus, not the interlaminars, but the mm -hmm. other ones, the VM. VM goes to layer one and oh, layer yeah. six or something like that. Yeah. So is there anything like that in primates or is that just no, not to layer not to layer one, no. Not to layer one that I so this is the VM is a is a very particular the VM is a, is a particular nucleus. In a sense the nuclei that will do that, the nuclei that will do that in, in the primates are going to be Mainly not the CM, it's not the CM, but it's going to be the other interlaminar nuclei, like the CL, uh -huh. central lateral nucleus. Okay, that is going to be. Do you have to worry about these differences between rodents and primates? Sounds like this might be a system where there are lots of important differences between rodents. I, I think, and you know, I think, I, I would not say, I, I don't think that we need, I mean, species, the way that I personally see species differences, I don't think. Personally, I don't think we need to necessarily. No, I think worry may not be the, 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 the right term, <laughs> but I think we need to pay attention and really think about, I mean, for good, for all what we, and I think that's a part which I personally feel that we often, uh, we often forget about that. We often really don't, I mean, 
we just yeah we just forget it. I don't think really anybody is but I think I think these are because we learn a lot from that right it, it on, like this is a good point right this and this is a fundamental point and it's really is why I mean thinking about that is why do we have a system going like in the road on your right so the SNR goes to the VM that goes to the cortex but this VM, which is the major, you know, output, because the antopedonclear nucleus VL is, is a relatively small, but this is really, and this is what we study. I mean, everybody who does work in the rodent about basic ganglion thalamocortical system will study the SNR VM thing. Yes. They, they don't study the rest because it's not as, it, it's too small. And, but, but that's fine. Okay, that's okay. But you are dealing with a system which clearly, I don't know if it's a, it seems to be a mixture of, I mean, the intralaminar and the more conventional. So I don't know if you have both really mixed there. And and the VM itself is a very complex nucleus. There are different subtypes of cell in there. And it, it's not a... So it could be that the VM is organized in a way that somehow there are subsets of neurons that are, you know... Provi- I mean, and maybe even at the synaptic level, one thing with... Maybe there are subsets of neurons that are providing these more superficial and a little bit deeper input in the same nucleus. I don't know if this is the I way... So you could have some intralaminar type neurons. Yeah, yeah. Relay type neurons. And still at the end, functionally, that probably... Because when you look at the... I mean, functionally, and people have, you know, you study them, I mean, clearly it looked like the loops and the pathophysiology of... I mean, there is a lot of things that's at least in the in the dopamine depleted state, you know, people record from that. I mean, and you have the, the pathophysiology of Parkinsonism. I mean, it, so even despite... So maybe what you have is you have in this VM output, you have this probably maybe different subsets of cells that are somehow at the end, you, you end up that they are receiving basic ganglion output, but maybe some of them are more like intralaminar-like and others more... Uh, VL-like, and you end up, you know, with a functional system that is very similar. Just it's more compacted. It's not as similar extensive. To striatum and cutamen, right? Yeah, something. Maybe it could be something. I mean, yeah, it could be that it just. But yeah, physiologically, at the end, they may end yeah. up, you know, doing. But um, but you're right about that. I think that I think the important aspect of that, you know, of this aspect of of a species is that is is not to to be worried, but I think it's to is to pay attention and particularly when I think I believe particularly when you deal with with relationship with the cerebral cortex. I mean if there is one thing in the brain that we have to admit as as people, I mean that our cortex is different than than a mouse cortex, right? I mean <laughs> we may have a lot of stuff similar, but we have a cort we have to we have to say that the cortex is different. And obviously, depending if you are really more associated and whether or not this is just due to uh, to our associative cortices or others, but, but even the motor system, I mean, there are clearly the motor outflow, the, mo- the motor outflow to the descending system is different. That has been established. It's not functioning the same way. It's going directly to corticospine. I mean, there is a lot of differences that we need to keep to pay attention to that are important in our understanding of how these network and how also dysfunction is this network can contribute to either symptoms or pathophysiology of a system and so on but um yeah that's it so i think the the aspect of the uh, of these intralaminar really coming to the cm uh i agree with you that is is a very and as we discussed in mean, the talk today i think it's a uh, to me it's a very different uh system that has 
probably uh, has some important role to play in, in, in the motor in a way, again, but it would be more aspects of motor learning in aspect, not much more than just really. And I aspect, the cognitive aspect of motor learning that the one way that people see that, right, is that if it is involved in the, you know, in this aspect of more attentional really, and behavioral switching, some stuff like that, you can imagine that in any type of learning motor behaviors, I mean, this is just part of our really being able to handle that, you know, and being able to switch behavior in response to an external stimuli is just part of our normal uh, daily activity. But uh, but people who may or may have disrupted connection going to this nuclei may be, may be affected and may have a problem to do that and may not be able to learn uh, these particular uh, tasks as well and may, maybe also may not be able to perform them as well. So and then where do the symptoms of Parkinson's come from? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. We started today saying this this massive outflow from GPI and, and SNR to thalamus um, now is not probably the reason why we have these uh-huh, uh-huh. The, the, the motor symptoms, yeah. uh, akinesia, bradykinesia, yeah. tremor. Um, so where does it come from? <laughs> if if, That's if, if it's not that. That's a fundamental point. I think it's amazing how last uh, we have had this discussion, you know, so many times with uh, Maynard DeLong, the Tamaris, so Cedar with Maynard about. And Maynard, Maynard is, is one of these, I mean, it's inter- always interesting to, to talk about. But I think, I mean, like this, this exactly what you just said is that where is, where is the source of that? So maybe, I mean, the PPN. The brainstem region. I mean, maybe this is this is all about you know this extra pyramidal. Extra pyramidal. This is the this is maybe because again again okay because again the other thing is to keep in mind is that these neurons, this output of the GPI, which send this projection to the VL to the CM, all have a collateral down to the pedunculopontine region. That has been also well. I mean, these are neurons that have these. They go to the same target and they target these three structures. You know, in their output. So, and this PPN region is really well organized and it has, you know, this descending output going straight to the spinal cord, going to the this reticular the pontine formation. reticular formation. It really is part of the pontine reticular fast, reticular spine. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 that's why. Yeah, yeah. So, so and, and this is, you know, now, you know, this is an area where, and people have shown, I mean, there is some evidence that if you manipulate that directly really with drug, if you manipulate PPN in monkeys, you will induce echinacea and so on. You can do that. So these studies, I will not. I'm not. I don't think we should emphasize them too much because they are. Well, it's not that they. I mean, they are relatively. I would say it's not in-depth study, but there are evidence. And I think, and, and you will, and people have believed that there is, you know, something. And um, but this has been this has been demonstrated, and there are clearly some so studies in, along this line. And and it could be that. Part of the of these uh, motor symptom probably not tremor. Tremor is something particular, right? The tremor is thalamic. The tremor yeah. is thalamic. Yeah. The tremor is thalamic, and that's why intention for tremor is thalamic. But but the, what you talk about here is mainly bradykinesia, slowness of movement, yeah. and rigidity. This may not be really may not be thalamic. It's probably not thalamic. It's probably and it could be. And the other target is is this brainstem region. So we need to understand better, you know, what is how does 
how do the base in Anglia, you know, interact with them? I mean, we know they project there. We know, but what we do not know is which neurons are they talking to? And where do these output go? This PPN is such a, it goes back to the basic ganglia, lots of that go down to the reticular formation. You see where you have also the mesencephalic locomotor region, this MLR. So you have a lot and you have an heterogeneous population of neurons, which is just crazy. I mean, it's Not very... all of them go to the spinal cord. Yeah. Do we know that the ones that get basal ganglia input do project? We do not know. Cord? We do not know. We hope to be able to study that if they can fund our grant. Yeah, we want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they fund a grant. <laughs> but, no, no, but, these are, but we don't know that. You know? These are fundamental yeah. issues. Which one yeah. are going, you know, whether or not the basal ganglia output that target PPN neuron, do these neurons go to the spinal cord, the reticular formation, or do they go back to the basal ganglia? I mean, that's you cannot understand the circuit if you don't know right. that, right? You need to understand this. I have another question for you. Maybe I'm still biased because I always think about the cortex. Uh -huh. But you showed that in the Parkinsonian model, the VGLAT1 yes. uh, in a increase in, yeah. the, in the striatum. In the striatum. Yeah. But when you record the electrophysiology, or other people also record the electrophysiology activity, look at the exciter input, there was no change. There's, then, no, there's no change in the amplitude the, of the EPSC, yes. right? Yeah. What do you think then, how the cortex, this exciter input, contribute or not in the Parkinson? Do you think there's going to be something disrupted at the level of yeah. cortical, striatal, disynaptic inhibition? Yeah, so what, one thing to keep in mind about that, you know, what I shown, right, is that. So one thing that is, and, and we did not discuss that, okay, and which is another piece of work that the people have, have done and we have looked at is that, so one thing that happened is that in the striatum of um, animal model of Parkinson's disease or people with Parkinson's disease, the medium spiny neurons, okay, the projection neurons, lose about maybe 30% of their dynamic spines. Okay, there's a loss of spine. So if you take an individual neuron and you, lo you look at their spine, you will find about 30% loss of spine. So each of those spines, as we have shown, they uh, receive a cortical input. So the question which is always happening with this loss of spines in a particular brain region is, and obviously we, we see that all the time. It looks like spines can be lost in many brain diseases and so on. But I think the fundamental question is losing spine, okay, that's okay, but I mean, what happened to the to this, the network in response to the loss of spine? That's the fundamental physiological. This is what we need to pay attention to, right? Is and in that case, the question is, is that what was surprising? What is always been surprising about this the striatum and this viglet one is that how can you lose thirty percent of spines that most of them are probably receiving cortical input, but when you look at the amount of viglet one terminal you do not see a change, or even you see maybe an increase, okay? One thing that we know is happening, okay, and we, we have, I have just shown a, a little slide that we have shown that in a paper in 1991, is that you lose spines, and the terminals themselves are not lost, but what happened is that the, the, the Viglutuan terminals change dramatically morphology. They become much, much larger, so they become huge terminals, and they start forming multisynaptic, synapses. So there is a change there, right? Okay. So the physiological consequences, what happened, and probably there is also some changes that may go on even at the, at the so there is some aspect of compensation that is happening. It looked like in the Parkinsonian state, probably the glutamatergic system is, um, is in, in response to, this spine, we don't know if the spine loss is 
pathologic or homeostatic and why these spines goes away. But it looked like the corticostriatal system is definitely responding to that in trying to to somehow readjust itself morphologically and polyphysically. And that's why you do not see any, any change. But to me, it looked like probably what happened, in fact, it could be that this, because of the morphology, it could get to a level where in the striatum of Parkinsonian patient, you have an over glutamatergic. So it looked like the compensation may have overshoot the right system. And maybe this, and because I think that the structural rearrangement has been demonstrated, and I think it is, it is obvious that really these terminals are just, and maybe the strength of those synapses has just, you know, gone beyond, you know, beyond the roof. And that may contribute indeed to the pathophysiology of the corticostriatal system and the glutamatergic system and, and somehow the network disorders. But, but it can, um, it's, and because I think everyone agrees that the corticostriatal and the plasticity and everything is really messed up following really dopamine depletion. But, uh, but you're right. I think in that case, you know, you do not, I mean, in, in this case, but some people have shown that this was really that the EPSCs or EPSPs were really kind of even a larger amplitude. Some cases that they, that at least no, no decrease, even if the neurons have lost about maybe 30% of the spine. One of the things about Parkinson's disease or dopamine depletion is no matter what we measure, we find a difference. So there, there's so many differences, and you, it's very hard to figure out how they're, mm -hmm. how they're going to all go together to, yeah. to make something happen. How to approach them, and, and which one is, is, which one is a real, is a real, also the real other, thing. is which one is real, really a, a, a pathology versus an homeostatic response and versus a compensation, yeah. that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, it just, it gets, yeah, it gets, and then, because, it, and it's important, you know, obviously to understand that, to, to try to. To fix those things so that it's great that we've been able to find all of those things now we just have to pick <laughs> yeah to pick and, and, and i think that they understanding a little bit you know on the like for instance you know if you if you, if you look i mean you know clearly the work of mark bevan in the subthalamic nucleus right like we have seen in the subthalamic nucleus you know you go in a you treat an animal with mptp an animal monkey you go in the in the subthalamic nucleus and you find that maybe there is a loss of about the vglut1 input which is this cortical input, there's about, I would say that we thought really about 30% loss of DGLUT1 terminals in the subthalamic nucleus. So you lose, you have a system that lost, you know, its, its cortical, at least a large part of it. Uh, Mark really found the same thing in, in 6OHG, so it seemed across pieces, so you lose that. Mark believed that this is, this is something, this is a compensation, this is something which is changing in response to the yeah, but we, we, may, we mainly just make this up, which thing is the real thing and which thing is Which thing, that's right. So this is, I mean... What fits our personal diet? Yeah. But on, on the, I think with the tools available now, assuming that the tools can be used properly, there might be a way to go beyond just making it up and really test the hypothesis. That would be great. Yeah, hopefully the tools really will allow us to do that, yeah. Okay, thank you, Alan okay. Smith. Thanks. This has been Neuroscience Talk Show. Good. Thanks a lot.